Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Um, hi, everyone. I, I just have no idea how to follow that. Like, do you know what I mean? I just don't think I thought it through until Hannah was just like, as a star, just this actual star of the show, and now I'm just here. So I'm, I'm so sorry that this is, this is what you have now. And I'm, I'm actually so sorry. Crooksie, could you pass me that water bottle? Because um, just a little, I know, I'm so sorry, but just a little disclaimer. It is like cold season, and I think I have a little cold, so I'm just, um, based, yeah, this slightly husky voice that I have right now is not my normal voice. And if we all just like join me in prayer to make sure that I don't have to blow my nose on the stage, because quite frankly, none of us, none of us want that. Um, but yeah, as Chrissy said, my name is Fiona. Um, but I actually prefer Fee. That's kind of like my fun nickname, so if we're going to become friends, you know, maybe you could call me, call me that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, if we haven't met before, um, it's so good to be here. Um, like um, Crixie said, I'm the senior teacher for Scotland Bible School, um, so I'm very much like used to teaching, like overviewing books of the Bible. Um, I'm not often preaching on a Sunday, um, but I am very, very happy to be here um, to be talking to you about joy. Um, and yeah, I think I'm just going to start by praying quickly and then we'll, we'll get in. So yeah, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Like I thank you for the gift of joy that you have, Lord. And I pray that you bring revelation this morning of actually what true joy is. Lord, that you renew and that you transform our hearts and our minds so that we know you more, we experience you more, that we experience joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so yes, so far this Advent series, season. We have talked about hope, we've talked about peace, and now we're going to look at joy. And when people found out that like, I was the one that was going to talk about joy, everyone was like, oh, yeah, you're so well suited to that. Like, people say to me sometimes, you carry so much joy. Like, I don't even know what that means. Um, but honestly, like, this past year or so has not really always felt super joyful. Um, like this past, yeah, this past year um, and more, I have experienced like more unmet expectations of what like I thought my life was going to look like. So more disappointment and honestly like more grief than I think I've ever experienced before. And I think it has definitely impacted my joy. And when we were kind of chatting through the date options of like which um, Sunday, like which sermon I would preach, and it seems seems it would be joy. I was like, oh, I just kind of trusted that actually I would have something to say on this by December 17th. So let's hope, let's hope I do. <laughs> um, but um, I do hope that today that we we do know we do know more about what real joy actually is, and we're able to experience it in this Christmas season and beyond because our lives should be filled with joy. Um, and then I did have a few questions. Like when I started thinking about this, I was like, well, what actually is joy? 
because I thought if I'm going to get up there and I'm going to chat about it for 20 minutes, I really hope I can actually like know what it is. Because like Trixie was saying this a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about hope, it's like, well, actually, no, like what, what actually is joy? You know, it's, it's like a, it's a feeling you have, but that's, it doesn't seem like that's quite enough to describe it. You know, is it like a perspective we have on life? You know, people say, oh, you choose joy, just choose joy. I'm like, actually, like, well, first question I have on joy, what is it? And also, like, how do we have it? Like, how do, how do we experience joy? And on the flip side, what stops us from experiencing joy? So there were some questions that I had um, when I was thinking about this at the start. And actually, like, the dictionary definition, when I had a quick Google, um, said that joy is an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. And the example that Google gave you was she felt the joy of seeing her son's success. So actually, probably there's lots of parents, grandparents out there right now, maybe experiencing a warm and happy feeling because you've just seen you know, your child so beautifully act out some um, character in the nativity. Um, but like going off that, basically, joy is a feeling that we have when good things happen to us. But if I am honest, I just don't think that that like that's enough, like I think joy needs to be more than that. Like I think it needs to be more than just the result of a good thing happening to us. And when I started thinking about what joy is, I looked up every time that joy is mentioned in the Bible from like beginning to end because I don't want my definition of joy to be anything other than God's definition. Because ultimately, if that's the case, I'll be looking for it in the wrong things and in the wrong places, and ultimately I'll end up unsatisfied. So I thought I'd do, I'd just take us through like a quick whistle-stop tour of a handful of times that Joy is mentioned so that our understanding of Joy is more aligned with his definition. And the first time that Joy is mentioned in the Bible is in the fifth book of the Bible, and it was a command given to the Israelites they were told to keep something called the Festival of Shelters, um, also known as the Festival of Tabernacles, and if you're from Rehope Southside, occasionally called the Festival of Tacklenacles. Um, if you're not sure what I mean by that, just at the end of the service, ask the person next to you, and maybe next year you can come and join us for tacos. Um, it's in autumn. Um, so yes, the Israelites were told to keep something called the Festival of Shelters, and this was to celebrate how God had blessed them with a bountiful harvest and given them success in the land. And this festival was to be a time of great joy. So the first time that joy is mentioned is in a commandment to keep a festival remembering and acknowledging all that the Lord had done for them, celebrating that with joy. And I think this tells us that as a result of simply knowing who God is and celebrating him, thanking him, this should produce joy in us. Joy also appears in the Psalms. Actually, it's the book where joy is mentioned the most. And Psalms is also the book that teaches us how to pray and how to worship. And I don't think those two things are disconnected. Joy and prayer and worship. I think joy is completely intertwined with prayer and worship. And I think that tells us that when we lift our eyes from what is in front of us and we look to the one who is above it all, this will produce joy in us. 
And actually, when we read um, elsewhere in the Old Testament, um, and we read the Old Testament narratives, these are stories that detail the events that took place among the Israelites, joy is actually a little sparse. I was surprised by how little joy is mentioned in these Old Testament um, stories. And the majority of times that it is mentioned, it's mentioned in obedience, and it's mentioned in times where God's presence is dwelling among his people. A couple of examples of this is when David, King David, brings the Ark of the Covenant, which is the place where God's presence dwelt, into Jerusalem. So when God's presence was brought into Jerusalem, it sparked joy in his people. And again, when his son, King Solomon, built a temple, the temple, Second Chronicles details how the presence of God filled the temple and how the people obeyed the command and celebrated the Feast of Shelters. And then afterwards, they all went home joyful and glad because God had been so good to his people. So in just these few examples, we see that joy is mentioned in the Bible in the context of remembering and worshipping God, when in the presence of God, and when God's people obeyed his command. Now, my next question is, why? So, first of all, let's think of obedience. Why does obeying God bring joy? Well, when we obey God, what we're actually doing is saying, God, I trust that you know best here. Obedience to God is not about doing what we're told. Obedience is about knowing God, trusting God, and saying, I trust you and your wisdom and your goodness like more than myself. I trust whatever you're telling me to do is actually best for me. So the Bible makes clear that when we trust God and therefore obey him, it should bring us joy. And I just don't think that's a surprise because God has only ever wanted his, like, his best for his people. So when we obey, we're walking in God's best, bringing joy. And then when we think about the top two, like remembering and worshiping God, when we're in the presence of God, like why does this bring joy? Well, I think it's because it's all relational. Like remembering and celebrating God, praying to him, worshiping him, being in his presence, they're all describing what a relationship with God can actually look like. So it seems that being in a relationship with God brings joy. Now, there are also mentions of joy in the Gospels, people experiencing joy. And one, um, one instance in particular that I absolutely love is Zacchaeus. Um, and in Luke 19, we meet a man named Zacchaeus. So I'm going to read um, a little bit out to us that kind of details um, Zacchaeus meeting Jesus. And it says, there was a man named, oh, excuse me, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus in, uh, to his house in great excitement and joy. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, we know that he was a tax collector. That means that he was disliked. 
um, tax collectors were disliked um, by the Jews, by like their own people, because they kind of aligned with Rome. So like the Jews disliked tax collectors. They despised tax collectors, actually. But then tax collectors were equally like looked down upon by the Romans. So therefore, if he was a tax collector and a chief tax collector, he was extremely disliked. He walked through life being disliked and despised. We know that he is rich. We know that he's short. I mean, ultimately, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm five foot three. I mean, watch me get on an aeroplane. I've got plenty of leg room next to the next guy. Do you know what I mean? But I mean, I think that potentially being short could impact one's confidence, especially a gentleman. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> Zacchaeus was desperate to see Jesus. So we know a few things about him. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is that he was desperate to see Jesus. And at the end of the story, he is filled with excitement and he's filled with joy. Why? Well, if we look at it again, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Like he was seen by Jesus. He was known personally by name by Jesus. And Jesus wanted to spend time with him. Like, how good does it feel when you are seen by someone? Like, see when someone you love and you care about, like you respect, you admire, like when you, like when someone you love sees you, when they acknowledge you, like when you feel known by someone, like that feeling is warming. Like that feeling can be a comfort in hard times. Like that feeling can motivate you to keep going. Like when you feel seen and known by someone, See, when we are seen and known and loved and wanted by the creator of the universe, like that feeling is like incompatible and it is a source of great joy. Recently, I was having like a real good cry. Like I was very sad, like I was really heartbroken over something. And I was in my living room and I was on my sofa and I was just like weeping to the Lord. And it was not like a cute cry, like it was a deep, kind of minorly ugly weep. And um, I was crying out to God and I was telling him how I felt and I heard him say, read the Psalms. And so I turned and I read Psalm 1. And honestly, I was ready just to kind of read them all. There's 150, but I was like, I'm not doing much today. I'll just, I'll just read the Psalms. But after the first Psalm, I was like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to ask the Lord a follow-up question. I'm going to be like, is there a specific Psalm that you want me to read? Um, and I'm glad I did because I felt him say Psalm 56. Um, and I felt like I had never read it before. Um, but I read this and I wanted to read to you part of it. So here's verses um, 8 to 13. It says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vow to you, O God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. 
so now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. So like as I sat there, like crying, like physically crying and crying out to God, he said, like he directed me to this psalm, and I tell you, like if I wasn't crying before, I was crying after reading this, but not because of the heartbreak that I was feeling anymore, but because of the, the like feeling of joy that is produced knowing that you are seen and you are heard by God. Like this psalm responded to all the things that I've been crying out to God about. Like I knew that he had seen my tears. I knew that he cared for me. Like how do you experience joy in the midst of heartbreak or grief? I think it's knowing, like knowing and feeling seen by God in the midst of it. So if we add this into our list here, like we see like joy experienced in the Bible when like they remember and they worship God, when they are in the presence of God, when the people obey his command and when his people feel seen and known by God. Because I think this is just like another example of what a relationship with God can actually look like. Like looking to him and knowing that he is looking back and then another place that joy appears a lot is in the epistles. Now, um, the epistles are just letters that were written in the Bible. And if you have been in a read-through group for the past few months, like you have been reading a lot of these letters. Um, and one man you will be acquainted with is a chap called Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, yeah, the chap, as if I'm friends with him. <laughs> um, um, to be fair, the, the Scotland Bible School has been going through um, these epistles as well. So I feel like he, I'm just really... He is a good friend now, Paul. Um, but he has one man you will be acquainted with is him, who in all honesty, one could argue that he didn't have many reasons for joy. Um, in one of his letters, he lists some of the hardship that he has been through. He says that he's been imprisoned multiple times. Um, he has been whipped, like 39 lashes. He has been beaten. He um, was at one point stripped and beaten with wooden rods in public. He has been stoned. At one point, people chased him out of a village, a town, stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. He got back up again, went back into the town and just started preaching the gospel again. Like, that's our Paul. And then he says he's been shipwrecked, uh, like days adrift at sea. He has had sleepless nights where he has been hungry and cold and thirsty. And if I am honest, I don't know if I would classify these experiences immediately under the category of joy. Um, and yet, Paul regularly talks of joy in his letters. Like this week, Scotland Bible School has been in Philippians. It's just a small four chapter letter in the Bible that Paul wrote from prison. And yet, in this letter, he mentions joy or rejoicing a total of 12 times. So Paul makes it clear that joy is actually nothing to do with comfortable or easy circumstances. And it's not even just Paul. James, who was the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter, and at one point he says that when troubles of any kind come our way, we are to consider it an opportunity for great joy. And why is it an opportunity? Well, I think when times are good, when times are easy, like, it's easy to be happy. But true joy seems to be independent from our circumstances. 
So actually, when we are in times of trouble or hardship or grief or loss or disappointment, like there's an opportunity to push out of circumstantial happiness and into something a lot deeper. One final thought is, is that in Paul's letters, he, um, he wrote to the church of Galatia at one point, and he tells them that joy is a fruit of the spirit. Now, this imagery of um, like fruit is not isolated here. It's used a lot in the Bible, actually. And another time that it's used is in the Gospel of John. And this is when Jesus is preparing his disciples for what it's going to look like once he leaves. And he tells them that when he leaves, he's not going to leave them on their own. He's going to ask, and the Father will send his Spirit. And he, at this point, he also tells them to remain in him. Like, what does that actually mean? Well, Jesus tells them that he is the true vine, and they are the branches. And without being connected to him, they cannot produce fruit. So if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, fruit doesn't grow by magic. Fruit um, doesn't grow independently from the tree. It grows because it's connected to the tree. It's getting everything it needs from the roots. And if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, it can only be produced when we are connected to the Spirit, the source, to God. So we can all experience like good times, happiness, like that we can all have that. But if joy, like true joy, is a fruit of the Spirit, not only can we experience it by being connected to the Spirit, that is the only way that we can experience joy. True joy, not happiness, not a good time, not a response to good things, but the only way we can experience joy is being connected to the source, to the Spirit. So when we put that all together, we have that joy is found when we remember and we're in the presence of God, when we worship him, when God's people obey his commands, um, when we feel seen and known by God, Joy is independent from our circumstances and it is a fruit of being connected to Christ, to God. And when we think back to our original questions, like or my original questions, maybe yours too, what is joy and how do we experience it? I think it's safe to say it is not the result of good things happening to us, but it is the result, excuse me, it is not the result of good and easy things. Like happiness can be produced from these things, like good circumstances, happy things in our life, like happiness can be produced in them, but biblical joy is something far deeper and Paul makes that clear. Joy seems like it's a direct result of a relationship with God, the only source of joy. So this means that our circumstances do not define how much joy is in our life, our intimacy with God does. I'll say that again. Our circumstances, what happens to us in this life, does not have to define how much joy you experience, how much joy that you have. Your intimacy with God defines it. But I mean, like, how good is that? Like, how good is it that we have a God who decided in his infinite goodness and kindness and wisdom that his people do not have to live a life where what happens to them decides how much joy is in it? 
Like the Bible tells us that joy was promised, like God promised joy long ago. And now we are in a time of fulfillment. Like God has made a way for his people, regardless of circumstance, to live in joy. Like there is complete access to joy because there is complete access to God. Like Hebrews tells us that we can draw near to God because of Jesus. So if you are currently like unsatisfied with the happiness level in your life, like the the joy in your life, the truth is, is that there is more joy available to you because there's more of God available to you. So then what stops us from experiencing joy then? Well, I think it's from not knowing God or distance from him. Like God's people experienced joy when his presence was among them. And Christmas celebrates Jesus coming to earth, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So when we are remembering and celebrating God, like dwelling among his people, it should therefore be a time of joy. And Jesus lived on this earth and he died and he was raised from the dead and he left us his spirit, God's spirit, dwelling in any and all of us who believe in him. So we live in a time where God's presence couldn't be closer and therefore an intimate relationship with God is on offer to us all and so is joy. And I think we do have to acknowledge that like our circumstances, like situations, relationships, like things that happen do truly affect how we feel, but it is a lie that they have to control our feelings. It is a lie that they are bigger or greater than God's peace, his love, or his joy. Like it is, like I know it can feel like a situation in front of us is too big, like for joy to overcome it, But that does not have to be the case. Like true joy, joy from God surpasses our circumstances. So while we are going through hard times, we absolutely can experience joy. Joy is always available to those who know God. But how do we experience joy in these hard times? Well, the Psalms can be categorized into different types. They're they're poems, poems written to God, and they can get categorized. And there's some that are praise, there's some that are thanksgiving, there's some that are laments. Now, laments are where the psalmist was calling out to God, normally because of a situation they were in. Maybe an injustice had been done to them. Maybe they were going through a painful loss. Um, Maybe they were scared in an uncertain situation. But they cry out to God, that is a lament. And by the end of the psalm, the atmosphere has normally always shifted one um, of, of like anguish to one of, of hopefulness and thanksgiving and, and joy. Not because their circumstance had changed, but because they had invited the Lord into their circumstance and therefore their perspective had shifted. And like, please know, I say none of this to like diminish our experiences. Like if you are going through loss, if you're going through grief, if you're going through disappointment, like that is real and moving through it is like a continual process. And I know that people will say like, oh, like just choose joy. And see said in like the wrong way, like that can actually be really hurtful. Like, But the truth is, is that we can experience joy, whatever the circumstance. But I think what it means is, is that in the midst of a painful situation, we choose to turn 
to God. Like we choose to turn and look to the one who loves us and cares for us more than anyone. Like we choose to turn to God and we choose to tell him about it. Like we trust him with it and we allow that intimacy to shift our perspective and produce joy. So joy truly is ours for the taking. And it doesn't even have to be these small momentary pockets like when we, we experience when we're struggling and we turn to God. But actually, I think these moments can fuel us into having a lifestyle of joy. And I think like that's why James used this language of an opportunity. Like hardship forces us out of circumstantial happiness and into a deep, intimate joy from the Father. And I think that's what's happened to me. Like this past year, like I have had real moments of disappointment and grief and loneliness. But what that meant was I was pushed from having my joy rooted in my circumstances and in my life and instead into like an intimate honesty with the Father, which meant I walked away with joy that has fueled me into like a lifestyle of everyday joy. So just as we finish, like a challenge for us in this Christmas season is that we could leave this like, I just want us to tell God how we feel. Just tell him how we feel, whether you have never prayed to him before, whether you pray to him all the time, like whether um, like your circumstances are good and you just wanna thank him for what he has given you, like whether they're really hard, like just tell him how you feel and listen to what he wants to say back to you. Like let this Christmas be one of new relationship with God, a new relationship with the God of hope and peace and joy and love. I'm just gonna pray for this. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are the God of joy. Like that you are the Father who wants to give his children like good gifts. Your spirit was one of them and therefore these gifts of the spirit are the things that you wanna give us. And Lord, I thank you that, that we can draw near to you that we can have this intimate relationship with you now. So yeah, Lord, I just, I just pray that you help us, that you teach us, that you come alongside us as we, we navigate just growing deeper intimacy with you. Lord, I thank you that you love us. And Lord, help us just see you rightly and love you back the way that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.